0: This is Penny Johnson, and you're listening to From Stage to Page, an audiobook podcast devoted to the forgotten stories and memoirs of female performing artists from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In this episode, we continue with Geraldine Farr, The Story of an American Singer, written by Geraldine Farr and published in 1916 by Houghton Mifflin Company. CHAPTER THREE I RESOLVE TO SING CARMEN Each spring in Melrose there was a May Carnival. One of the features of the Carnival in 1894 when I was 12 years old, was a pageant of famous women impersonated by local talent. I was selected to represent Jenny Lind and was told by the committee that I must sing Home Sweet Home, but with characteristic disregard for the expected tradition, I decided to sing an aria in Italian first. The prima donna of my dreams would naturally dazzle her hearers with a selection in some foreign tongue and then graciously respond to the clamorous multitude with a simple ballad. I had this stage effect quite planned in my mind. I didn't know a word of Italian, but studied one song by myself from Faust, Siebel's song, which Scalci used to sing in the old days, and one seldom heard now. My Italian may have been incomprehensible to a native, certainly it did not disconcert Melroseans, "'My aplomb was richly rewarded by numerous recalls, "'just as I had dared to hope, "'and home, sweet home, was given with due seriousness. "'I was happy and excited. "'I was arriving at last. "'Also I wore my first low-neck dress. "'Incidentally, this episode in the Melrose Town Hall "'is made vivid in my memory by two notable happenings. "'The first is shades of vanity, that I wore a new pair of perfectly lovely shoes that were too tight for me, but looked so nice. So, after singing the encore, I was obliged to retire behind a stout lady on the stage and take them off. When the carnival was over, I found to my distress that I could not get them on again, and I walked home in my stocking feet.' The second episode of this day really marked a turning point in my career. A friend who heard me sing happened to be a pupil of Mrs. J. H. Long, the best known singing teacher in Boston at that time, and this friend insisted that I must go into Boston and sing for Mrs. Long. I was tremulous with joy, still in my stocking feet. "'and my mother and I, breathless, told my father the news "'that arrangements were to be made for me to sing at last "'before a real singing-teacher. "'My father eyed us and shook his head thoughtfully, "'looking at my mother as though to say, "'She's encouraging the child in all this tomfoolery.' "'For while he himself had a splendid natural voice and loved music "'and was proud of my childish achievements,' I doubt if at that time he could foresee the practical side of a musical career. But my mother and I were heart and soul for the idea, and sing I would and must. Finally came the day of days, and it poured. Alas for the favorable impression I had hoped to create. My hair had been tightly rolled in lead all night to obtain the desired crimps, I hadn't closed an eye from the discomfort and nervousness. And here was the fateful hour at hand. With no vestige of a crimp, my face pale with excitement, though I pinched my cheeks cruelly to make the roses come, and my muslin frock out of the question in such weather, I felt like a veritable Cinderella in my plain dark suit. However, off we started— half an hour's ride on the train, what I suffered in apprehension. How dizzy I felt, and what a queer feeling I had in the pit of my stomach. I could have wept from the tension. Could this drooping young person be the erstwhile very confident embryo prima donna? Mrs. Long, a fond memory, put me at once at my ease with her kindly manner. Her great brown eyes looked into mine and inspired me with such confidence that soon I was warbling as freely as if I were at home alone. I no longer heeded the rain, my appearance, or my surroundings. To my delight I was accepted at once as a pupil, and it is to this excellent and thorough teacher that I can give thanks for proper guidance in my early years. My aversion and distaste for the drudgery of scales and routine manifested itself quickly, but Mrs. Long knew the best arguments for my rebellious little soul, and as I really did wish to become a great and noble singer, I worked as faithfully at my tasks as I could. Meanwhile, I began to sing occasionally in the Congregational Church in Melrose. My mother from this time kept a scrapbook of newspaper notices concerning me, for I was now beginning to become known as a local celebrity. The first clipping in my mother's scrapbook is from the Melrose Journal of May 21, 1895, and is as follows. Miss Geraldine Farr, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. S. D. Farr, has a voice of great power and richness. Many who heard her for the first time at the Vesper service last Sunday afternoon were greatly surprised. She is only thirteen years of age, but has a future of great promise, and it is believed that Melrose will some day be proud of her attainments in the world of music. As a result of the church singing, and the fact that I was actually studying in Boston under the famous Mrs. Long, I was invited to sing at my first regular concert. The program, carefully preserved by my mother, shows that it was organized by Miss Eudora F. Parkhurst in aid of the Piano Fund for the Melrose Highlands Congregational Vestry, and that it took place on Wednesday evening, January 15, 1896, in the Town Hall of Melrose. I sang two numbers— Non conosci il Bersol, from Mignon, I note my Italian had improved, and August's Bird on the Wing. Of this interesting event, my first public appearance in concert, the Melrose Journal of the next day, said, Miss Sudora Parkhurst's concert in aid of the Piano Fund of the Highland Congregational Church, given in the town hall Wednesday evening, attracted a small audience miss parkhurst who is a very young lady and herself a musician of considerable ability put a great deal of work into the concert and its details and it is to be regretted that it could not have been better patronized miss geraldine farr was the leading attraction rendering her two solos with great confidence and ability for her first number she sang non sole from Mignon, rendering the difficult music with surprising ease and fidelity, receiving a recall. Her second number, Bird on the Wing, was also well received. The Alpine quartet of Woburn, Miss Cora Cummings, banjo soloist, Miss Welma Cummings and Miss Parkhurst, violinists, and Miss Bessie Adams, reciter were the other attractions. Mr. Grant Drake presided at the piano as accompanist. I find in my personal notes of comment on this interesting program that I disliked the banjo as an instrument, though Miss Cummings played well, and that Mr. Drake, the pianist, was very nice. Even in those days I was given to analysis. My success at this recital led directly to another public appearance, February 5, 1896, in the YMCA Hall at Melrose, at a concert given by Miss Jenny May Spencer, a Boston contralto, through whose friendship and advice I had gone to study with Mrs. Long. This was the first time my name appeared in large type as one of the principal singers, and I was greatly pleased. This was the first paying professional appearance I ever made, For singing one number and a duet with Miss Spencer, I received the magnificent sum of ten dollars. But this concert called me to the attention of the music critics of Boston, and the critic of the Boston Times wrote, Miss Geraldine Farr is a young girl who has a phenomenal soprano voice and gives promise of becoming a great singer. My marginal criticism on this concert program shows that Mr. J.C. Bartlett, the tenor, was fine, Miss Bell Temple, reader, was good, Mr. Wolf Fries, the cellist, was elegant, and Mr. Drake, the pianist, was nice, as usual. These two concerts were followed by further careful study under Mrs. Long, and then at last came the eventful night when I made my real debut in Boston at the annual recital given by her pupils. I shall never forget the date. Tuesday evening, May 26, 1896. I was 14 at the time, having celebrated my birthday in February. The recital took place in Association Hall, and I wore a simple little white dress with green trimmings. On the program of this memorable event... Carefully pasted in a scrapbook by my mother, I find this comment written in my own hand. This is what I made my debut in, very calm and sedate, not the least nervous. Following my critical tendencies at the other concerts, I find the program of this first recital filled with marginal comments. Most of my remarks were very flattering to my fellow pupils, Concerning Miss Leveroni, who afterwards studied abroad and returned to America to sing with Henry Russell's Grand Opera Company, I wrote, Very nice. Gestures natural. Others were pretty good, very fine, or very nervous, and only one pupil was criticized as bad, off-key. The Boston newspapers always gave extended notices to the recitals of Mrs. Long's pupils, and this was no exception. I was mentioned favorably, but it remained for the dear old Melrose reporter to give me a most extraordinary and almost prophetic criticism. I quote from the newspaper clipping so carefully preserved by my mother. The Cavatina from Il Barbiere, sung by Miss Geraldine Farr, will interest those in Melrose who were not able to attend the recital. For many months musical people have waited the gradual development of this phenomenal voice, a God-given power which the child has sent forth with a freedom, compass, and quality that has demanded the admiration of our best Boston critics. Notwithstanding the florid and extreme difficulties of the Cavatina, the execution— and reserved force, absolutely fresh and firm for each attack, was a triumph and a revelation of tone power. She sang without notes, and embraced the beautiful flowers showered upon her, as unconscious of her success as though she had stood among her mates and told a simple story. With hopeful anticipation her many loving friends will follow her future which seems already unfolding, and as the child glides to womanhood our little twinkling star, may rise by and by from dear Melrose and become resplendent in the musical firmament where all the world will love to listen and do her homage. The first flowers sent to me at this recital, carefully dried and pressed, are still one of my dearest souvenirs, and I also treasure carefully the first card of good wishes sent to me on that occasion. It bears the carefully engraved name of "'Mr. John E. Pilling,' and underneath is written, "'May success always attend you.' "'I hope Mr. Pilling, if he ever sees these lines, "'will accept the long-deferred thanks of the little Melrose girl "'to whom he sent such an encouraging message.' "'In my last year of study under Mrs. Long, "'I reveled for the first time in the joys of Grand Opera. "'That winter in Boston,' The Castle Square Opera Company, an excellent organization managed by Henry W. Savage, was presenting grand opera in English at the old Castle Square Theatre. The leading singers were J.K. Murray and his wife, Clara Lane. I became a subscriber to this excellent company's performances on Wednesday matinees. To me, these matinees were meat and drink. All performances were well supported by music lovers in the vicinity was Clara Lame, who I first heard sing Carmen, a role which has recently figured so successfully in my own repertoire at the Metropolitan in New York. During these enjoyable weeks, I heard this company sing most of the grand opera repertoire in English, and I was thrilled and fascinated. Then came another great and unexpected joy. The Maurice Grau Grand Opera Company, from the Metropolitan Opera House in New York, visited Boston for a spring season at Mechanics Hall. My mother decided that I must hear Calvay sing Carmen. The cast included Jan Duretsky, then at the height of his success, Emma Ames, Saliza Poplanson as the Toreador, and, of course, the wonderful Calve. I completely lost my head over this remarkable performance. For days and nights I reveled in the memories of that magnificent representation. This, then, was the visualization of all my dreams of years. This triumph I had witnessed was that toward which all my hopes, fears, and prayers had been directed. This wonderful creature was what I hoped, nay, intended, to become. And then and there was born within me a fervent and earnest decision that, come what may, I, too, must someday sing Carmen with the most wonderful cast of grand opera artists in the world at the Metropolitan in New York. You've been listening to From Stage to Page, an audiobook podcast devoted to the forgotten stories and memoirs of female performing artists from the late 19th and early 20th centuries. If you like what you hear and want to support my creative endeavors... Then simply go to Kofi dot slash pennyjohnson and you can buy me a lemonade. That's dash Fi dot com slash pennyjohnson. Thanks for your support.